Well, hello, everyone. It is good to see you. Welcome. Let me add my welcome to the rest of the teams, whatever venue you're at or whether you're streaming online. It is a pleasure to be with you and to open up God's Word with you for a few moments today. And, and so let's do that. Please turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, as we continue in this series, Heaven Sent. As you go there, let me tell you of a story I, I read about this week. It concerned a few prisoners during the French Revolution. These were political prisoners who were put away in a dungeon, a dark and cold dungeon, just put out of sight, incarcerated. And in that dark and, and cold dungeon, one understandably faces the reality of how desperate and how dark and how horrible and how fragile life is. One of the soldiers, or one of the prisoners in there, who was a soldier, uh, had a Bible. And word got round that this chap had a Bible, and, and yet it was dark, and very few of them could read. But for a little moment every day, in light of a little crack at the very ceiling of this cell, a little bit of light from the sun shone in. A little shaft of light would come into that dungeon, and so what the prisoners would do is they would take turns putting this guy with the Bible on their shoulders so that he could get up into the light and read and read and read. Few of them could read. So they took turns just holding him up there as he read the Scriptures. And when the sun moved on and the, the shaft of light stopped penetrating that dark dungeon, they'd, they'd lower him back down into the darkness and they'd say this, please tell us what you read in the light. We need to hear what you read in the light. That's what we're doing here. When we open up God's Word, it's a sacred moment. This is a sacred gathering. God speaks and we get to listen. We get to hear what He has to say. So it'll cozier and more comfortable in here than they had it, right? And, and we don't have to get the deacons up to, to hoist me up into, into the rafters, right, to read the Word of God to you. But don't be deceived and don't be naive. It's still a dark and horrible and desperate and fragile world in which we live, just like it was for those French political prisoners 200 years back. We need to hear from God. We need to gather around his word and listen to what Almighty God has to say. And so, Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 25, that's our little time in, in that little shaft of light today. It really is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, as was said earlier. It really is. And what we have here is a, is a preview, actually, of Jesus' entire ministry. It's a preview of what's to come. It's like a, a, a movie trailer, right? The, the movie trailer isn't the movie. It's just a little bit of a teaser so that you will go on and watch the movie. And that's what we have here. And ancient writers do that a lot. And, and biblical writers do that also. In fact, the literary term, for those of you who want to sort of impress people at Scrabble, it, it's prognostication. Big word. 
But, but ancient writers prognosticate. They, they, they give you a little bit of a preview up front of all that the rest is going to entail. And, and Matthew does that in verses 12 to 25. We get a little bit of a preview of Jesus' ministry. It's essentially the story of history. It's all of the story of history condensed down into four truths, four facts that we get to, to read about and learn a little bit about today. So let's look at those four truths. Let's look at what this um, ministry preview of Jesus declares. The first truth of this ministry preview concerns our condition. Concerns our condition, our situation, humanity's condition, humanity's predicament. Look with me at verses 12 to 16. Verse 12 says, Now when he, that is Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. We have a transition occurring here. The John being referred to there is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. The report of John the Baptist's arrest is the trigger for Jesus to, to head on over to the northern region of Galilee to begin his public ministry. He's around 30 years old. We don't know much about what Jesus did in the 30 years prior to that. It wasn't his public ministry. But now it's his public ministry. And he must begin there. Before we move into the start of his ministry, let me just say a few words about the end of John the Baptist's ministry, because this is the end for him. We know a little bit more in, in the other Gospels as to how that end uh, came about, but he was under arrest even then. So he's arrested, and here's a good man. John the Baptist is a good man. He's a servant of God. He's a faithful preacher of the Word of God in a, in a culture that is disinterested in God. I have a heart for preachers, as you can imagine. I can empathize with this chap. Preaching isn't easy. Audiences can be very, very uh, dangerous, somewhat brutal. Historically speaking, audiences are not interested in doing what God wants them to do. They resist the message of the preacher, and that was John the Baptist's ministry, and yet he was faithful and he served God, and he introduced the Messiah who's his cousin. In fact, Jesus refers to John through this wonderful compliment as uh, the greatest man born of women, unequaled. A giant of the faith, and what's his retirement reward? Prison. It's not Florida. It's not golf. It's not a morning nap followed by lunch, followed by a mid-afternoon nap. He doesn't get to trade in his, you know, camel skin suit and diet of locusts for a camel skin swimsuit. The sip on margarita is by the Mediterranean, which is quite close. He's incarcerated. His days are not what he anticipated. His retirement, I'm sure, is not what he planned, but it is God's will. It is God's way for him, and, uh, and some of you might need to sit in the comfort of that thought that despite your circumstances and the last chapter in your life, if you're walking with God, that's where God wants you. 
So John the Baptist ends, and Jesus Christ steps up for his public ministry. Look at verse 13 with me. And, and leaving Nazareth, he, that's Jesus, went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, Capernaum is on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And if you've been to that part of the world, Capernaum has been dug up. It's, it's, it's a town that's still there. It's not inhabited, but, but you can walk the ruins of Capernaum. Why, why would he go there? Well, because it's part of God's plan. Well, how do you know that? Well, look at verses 14, 15, and 16. He goes there, verse 14, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Something is going to occur in that part of the world, Isaiah said, over 700 years prior. What's going to occur there? Look at verse 15. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Why would God want Jesus there? It seems that Isaiah was anticipating that God was going to do something there, and there's Gentiles there, but Jesus' ministry is to the Jews, is it not, first? Well, yes, but God's ministry is global. It's to Jew and Gentile, and Capernaum is one of those few spots in Israel at the time that has both because it's right where the trade routes are in that part of the world. But it's not just because there's Jews and Gentiles there which depict all of humanity. Look at the condition that they're in, verse 16. The people there, the people dwelling in darkness, have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Jesus is simply treading along on God's ancient plan. The trigger has been activated. John the Baptist's ministry is, is, has ended. He has introduced the Messiah, and the Messiah must get to where God said he would be to fulfill his ministry. Matthew's been very clear about that. If, if you've been tracking along with chapter 1, 2, and 3 up to chapter 4, you'll have heard the repeated phrase, this was to fulfill that which was spoken through the prophet. This is to fulfill that which was spoken through the prophet. Matthew's very clear that, that he wants you to see that the activities in the life of Jesus are just a fulfillment of what God has predetermined all along in the Old Testament. He's stitching it all together. Jesus is treading along on God's ancient paths. What God says he will do, God does. God is in control here, and, and God's plan is to deal His way with, with our condition, with our situation, with the human predicament. As verse 16 makes very, very clear, we are dwelling in darkness. We're a people who dwell in the region and in the shadow of death. Jesus essentially comes to meet humanity precisely where humanity is at, dungeon of darkness, horrible, fragile, desperate, just like those French political prisoners. It's easy to ignore that. 
It's easy to dismiss that reality. In fact, we hide that. We certainly recently try and redefine and relabel for political correctness and for social correctness what, what darkness and evil really is. It's not really that dark. It's not really evil. We try and hide death, understandably so. It's so terrifying. We numb ourselves to it. You know, the ancient Greeks, for all their flaws, they had a myth. They had one of their legends, and it was this, that their top god, Zeus, had got mad at humanity, and so he banned all the lesser gods from helping humanity. But one false Greek god, Prometheus, his name is, he took compassion on humanity. And so he gave them two gifts, and those two gifts uh, were quite remarkable. The first was fire. Let them have fire if they can keep warm and if they can cook. That's the basics that they need to eventually develop civilization. The second gift was this, let's keep them ignorant of their own mortality. Let them live distracted. Let them live unaware of the darkness in which they live. Let them live ignorant of the fact that they dwell in the region and in the land of death. Now, that's myth. That's legend, the Greek's version. But they're on to a point that humanity does seem to live somewhat ignorant of the fact that we're in a collision course with death, that the situation is desperate and difficult. I, just to shift gears a little bit, I was, uh, I, I've, I've told you in the past about young James, right? Here it is, it's a moment for the young James story. Young James uh, is a, a kindergartner. Kindergartners are fun. One of the things kindergartners have to do is learn to dress themselves. And that's a really fun activity. So you see James coming up, and, you know, it's comical, really. He'll grab a, a, a T-shirt or a, a sweater, and he knows that his head has to go through one of those gaps. But he doesn't ever necessarily get the right gap. So, you know, he might go into an arm gap sleeve, and, you know, he's stuck. And he's trying to get out, and he's confused. This is, I've seen this work. This usually works. And so I help him along, and, and then one of the other things he does is, you know, he lays out his sweaters or his t-shirts on the floor. He's, he's, he's old enough to now know, okay, there's got to be a strategy here. I've, I've, got to, I've got to see the front. And so he sees the front. He lays it out in front of himself. But then he proceeds to lift it up and put it on that way, which means that the front is now behind him. Well, the other week... He came to me with a pair of socks. I sent him off to get a pair of socks. And socks are tricky for, you know, five-year-olds. And so he brought me this pair of socks, and, and I unfolded them. They were folded in. And we both immediately burst into laughter because these socks were tiny. And he had to, to, to dig past about 10 good pairs of socks in his little sock drawer to get this pair of socks. They're, they're, they're the remnants of what were his Five years ago, somewhat lost in the back there. So we both laughed at the fact that there's no way he was going to get this pair of socks on. And I said to him something like, James, come on, these only fit a wee baby. 
And he stopped and he said, I know a wee baby. We could give them to my friend who's a wee baby. His name is Amari. Why don't we give, him, give them to Amari? Amari is a wee baby. And James prays for him at least three times a day. When we go to school, he prays for Amari. When we're having dinner at night, he prays for Amari. When we're going to bed at night, he prays for Amari. Amari is a wee baby who developed cancer in his eye and had his eye removed recently. And the surgery went well. It's all good, but, but they're now worried about the other eye. In fact, he's undergoing treatment to make sure that they can rescue the other eye. That's the world we live in. It is dark. It is desperate. We live in the region in the shadow of the land of death. Don't be naive to that just because it's comfortable and just because we hide death and just because we live ignorant of our mortality. Our condition, our situation is bad and there's no hiding from that. But, but that's, that's not all of the preview. That's the, just the first part of the preview. Verse 16 also contains Hope, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Jesus did come. Jesus arrived on the shores of our planet, on the shores of Capernaum by the sea, and he meets us exactly in the condition that we're at. He's here because he is going to undo the grip that sin and Satan has on humanity. That's why he's come. To do something about the effect of sin on Amari's eyes. To do something about the effect of sin on the life of your loved ones, your little ones, your older ones, on your life. Friends, don't forget that darkness and death are real. Darkness and death are real, but they are expiring. Darkness and death is expiring. It's ending. It's in a collision course with God. There is hope. A shaft of light has entered into the dungeon. God sent, God planned, God himself to people dwelling in darkness. The people living in the region of death. A light has dawned. So that's our condition, but hope is emerging, and, and the preview that Matthew presents of Jesus' public ministry as the book unfolds moves on to God's salvation. Bitterness gives way to sweetness. God's salvation, that light of verse 16, is a person, and that person has a message, and the message is an invitation into God's salvation, that we don't need to remain in that condition. Look at verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent because there's another kingdom available to you and it's near, it's within reach, it is in him if you just repent, if you just receive him. I love that Jesus is a preacher. Verse 17, it says he's preaching. Jesus is a preacher. 
And I love that. And here we have a three-second sermon, and I know what you're thinking. Why can't you preach three-second sermons? <laughs> I told you, audiences are dangerous. I see you can, you can be brutal. Let me just say it is a summary sermon. Jesus preaches this sermon unfolded, uh, opened up, and it takes him around a day. No breaks. He feeds them all, you know, bread and fish at the end of it, and I can't do that, but I think I'm going to take that as my template for, for preaching. Just go after it for a day, no breaks. Here we have a summary of Jesus' sermon, and it's simple. It is a very simple message so that you get it. There's no confusion here. Now, some teachings in the Scriptures can be quite confusing. We had that experience this week in my home. My wife pulled out a little card that had a Bible verse on it at, at dinner time. And the, the plan is, let's try and inject as much Scripture into our kids during feeding time at the zoo, right? Just get the Word of God into them. And, and so that little uh, card said Psalm 23. You know what Psalm 23 says? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Well, as she started to read that, my 10-year-old son said, oh, I, I know this one. I've got this one. I can explain this one. And so he repeated it to us. And he rehearsed it like this. The Lord is my shepherd that I shall not want. Easy mistake to make. And as he said it, you could see the confusion in his face and the worry at the fact that he was going to have to explain to a bunch of young Christians and a pastor dad why we don't want the Lord as our shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd that I shall not want. Of course, the confusion for him came in the use of the old English and in the wrong pause. It's the Lord is my shepherd pause, I shall not want, meaning I shall not be in need because he's my shepherd. Confusion, chaos. No confusion, no chaos in Jesus' three-second sermon here. In fact, this three-second sermon could be broken down, forgive me, I am a preacher, into two points. What to do, repent, why to do it? Because there's a kingdom of God to be received, and you can only get it through repentance. In fact, this two-point sermon, three-second sermon of Jesus is really a one-word sermon. Repent. One second. Repent. It's a sermon that the prophets have been preaching for hundreds of years. It's a sermon that Peter preaches, that Paul preaches, that the disciples in Mark preach, that John the Baptist preached. Just repent. Repent. That's God's sermon. Repent. And repent isn't confusing. Repent is simply this turn turn to God. You're heading on the highway of life in that direction. It's time to turn and head in that direction. No offense to all of those of you sitting over here, and compliments to all of you sitting over here. <laughs> turn. Change. As the Scriptures unfold and, and, and people like Paul explain for us, repent essentially means believe. It means, you know, trust in Jesus Christ. Turn to Him. You're heading in a direction that is on a collision course with God as judge of your life, and you will receive His wrath on sin because that's the right thing to do if you're a holy God. But it doesn't have to be that way. 
you can turn. You can head in this direction and on a collision course with God, not as your judge, but as your Savior. Not to experience his wrath, but to receive his blessing and the life that you can have in the kingdom of God because of what he has done in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just repent. It's simple. Let me give you an analogy. My family and I, uh, this past Monday, we went to the rodeo, just up the road, right? Dickie's Arena there. There's a rodeo, and we were at the rodeo. And what a fun event that is. But here's the thing. You can't just show up and walk on into the rodeo. You, you might look like you belong, uh, but you can't just do that. There's security guards. There's, there's locked doors. There's the police. There's, there's security booths where you have to get through the scanners, you know, and, and be checked. You, you can't just waltz on in there just because you believe that you belong and just because you believe that you look like you belong. You could have the blue jeans, the, the Justin boots, the cowboy hat. You can like cars. You can have the best howdy y'all and even go up in a horse. They're not going to let you in, even though you look like you belong and believe yourself that you belong. No. To get into the rodeo, you need a ticket. In our case, you just needed a QR code on your phone. You can even show up at the rodeo like an Irishman and get in with a welcome if you've got the right QR code, if you've got the ticket that's appropriate to that place. In fact, then you're welcomed in. Then you're told that you belong. There's a seat reserved for you if you've got the right QR code. It's no different with the kingdom of God. Listen, my friends, you might look like a saint, you might act like a saint, you might live like a saint, you might smell like a saint, you might go to church every week, you might be the pastor of the church, you might own a church. Doesn't matter. If you do not have God's QR code, you're not getting into the kingdom of heaven. And this QR code is simply this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Repent. Turn from heading that way and head this way. Simple. So that's God's salvation in light of our condition. Those who turn to King Jesus receive his kingdom. It's as simple as that. Those who turn to King Jesus, those who repent, those who believe, those who trust in him for a good standing, a righteous standing before God in the kingdom of God to breathe that heavenly air we sang about must receive by faith the Lord Jesus Christ. The third truth that this preview of Jesus' ministry declares uh, concerns our commission. We've looked at our condition. We've seen God's salvation. But those who are saved are commissioned. We have instructions to follow. God has given us instructions. And, and Matthew presents here an example of a few ordinary men who did respond to God's call in their lives. Look at verses 18 to 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, remember Capernaum is by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. And they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Verse 21, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father. They were mending their nets, and he called to them. Verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Matthew wants to emphasize the immediacy of the response of these ordinary men to the call of Jesus in their lives. Those who receive King Jesus serve immediately. That's the point that Matthew's making here. Remember, those who turn to King Jesus receive his kingdom, but those who receive King Jesus, those who turn to him to receive his kingdom, they serve immediately. They respond with immediacy. You don't just tell God you're sorry. Repentance is more than just an emotion, you know, wet eyes and a soft heart. Repentance beckons you to respond in action, to obey. And so they respond. They, they don't just tell God they're sorry. They show God that they're sorry by following him. Immediately, of course, here includes the cost of following him. It's costly to follow Jesus. Later on, you will read about how you must deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow him. A cross is not an easy thing to carry. Jesus calls them to fish. It's a great analogy for fishermen. I'm not a fisherman. But I was at the rodeo this week. Told you that. And, you know, uh, it's remarkable. I, ever since I was this size, I was a wannabe cowboy. I used to saddle up on the armrest of my parents' couch when I was a little boy and, and just watch westerns. Irony is that I end up in Texas, right? No thought of Texas back then, but I'm a, I was, I'm, I've always been a, a wannabe cowboy, and, and so we were at the rodeo, and as I'm watching this rodeo, I'm thinking, you know, what if Jesus had not have come to Capernaum, but that Isaiah had prophesied that he was going to come to Texas? It's an interesting thought. And he wouldn't have been calling, you know, Peter and Andrew, he would have been calling what? Bob and Larry. That's what I thought. Bob and Larry, that's, that's Texan in my Irish head. And he wouldn't be calling them to fish. Remember, I'm at the rodeo. He'd be calling them to steer wrangle and to calf scramble and to mutton bust. Is that what I remember seeing? <laughs> and all the generations are caught there. Those of us who come to Christ later in life would be steer wrangling, would be going up to a poor pig and cow and grabbing it by the, by the neck and getting it down on the ground and roping in it for Jesus. And those who are young adults, calf scramble was my favorite. They were all the young adults there. And there was all these, this herd of little sort of cows, pagan cows, right, running around, not knowing what to do with their lives, being chased by these young adult evangelists with a great plan for their lives. You could just get them and they got them and they took them into the middle, and they got an award for it. And then, of course, there was a mutton bust and all the little ones. Those who come to Jesus very young and know that they need to get people for Jesus, and they just grab on that sheep, and they won't let go for Jesus. I love that if Jesus was coming to Texas, he wouldn't be calling us to fish. He would be calling us to, to steer wrangle and, and to calf scramble and to mutton bust because they're all analogies 
of just service. Serve Jesus. Go out into a lost world as you follow Jesus so that you represent him and help other people come to know that there's a kingdom of God to be had and that if they would just turn toward Jesus, they have a ticket in into eternal life. All of us can do that. Fish, calf scramble, serve God. Peter, Andrew, James, John, they're just ordinary fishermen. They're just ordinary businessmen. They're serving Jesus can vary. Not all of service to Jesus is public. Most of it is private. Most of it is even anonymous. Nobody is ever going to thank you for your service to Jesus, but he sees it, and he's worthy of it. Serving him can vary. Daily life provides you with wonderful opportunities to reach out to those who are lost. If you'd open your eyes and serve him immediately. I read of a Christian author, Tony Campolo. You may have heard of him. He's written a lot. And he talks about one day he was going to a funeral home to pay his respects to the family of a man who had deceased, and he really didn't know the family that well. But there is a ministry in just being present that communicates, I love you, you're important to me, and you're important to God, and you're hurting, and I'm going to be here. And so he's heading into this funeral home, and he actually takes the wrong turn and ends up in a different room for the funeral of someone else. And in that room, there's just one body lying at the front and one person in the room, the widow, on her own. Nobody else there. And so he stayed. And he sat with her. And then when the little service was done, he walked with her to the hearse, to the car, and he got in the car with her. And he went to the graveside. And as they're traveling together, just her and him, uh, he tells the lady, you know, I actually didn't know your husband. And she says, I, I thought as much. I didn't recognize you, but it doesn't really matter. You'll never, ever know what this means to me. Campolo just did what the circumstances he walked into him into demanded of a follower of Jesus. Because he lived alert to the reality that he gets to serve God and he can serve God immediately when needed with whatever is presented before him. The easiest thing for him to have done would have been to excuse himself, sorry, I walked into the wrong room and walk on by, but he would have missed an opportunity to serve the Lord Jesus Christ immediately because God led him in there. My friends, those who receive King Jesus serve him immediately, and there's multiple opportunities every day to serve Jesus Christ if you just open your eyes and be willing, and don't talk yourself out of it. So Jesus' ministry preview presents us with our condition, God's salvation, our clear instructions, a commission to serve, and finally, very, very quickly, God's restoration. God's restoration. We get a picture of the renewal that awaits us. Look at verses 23 to 25. And he, that's Jesus, went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming 
the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they, were, they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those who were oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. He healed them. Great crowds followed him from Galilee and from the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond the Jordan, from the known world. All I want you to see here very, very quickly as we close this out is that we have a snapshot here of what Jesus is able to do and what Jesus is going to do. He doesn't just proclaim a kingdom of God to be had. He proves that he is able to give you life, restored life, a la the kingdom of God. Jesus is going to restore all things. It's going to be brilliant. The effect, the effect of sin, the grip of sin and the effect of sin on, on human life will be gone. We read about it. Disease will be no more. Pain will be no more. Seizures will be no more. There will be no more paralysis. There will be essentially no more people living in the land of darkness. In the region of death, that widow will be reunited with her husband, and Amari is going to see. Amari will have eyes because of Jesus Christ. You know, we get all nostalgic. It's, it's very interesting. We get all nostalgic about a life that we have actually never experienced. Because we were made for it. And this is not it. But it is coming. Because of Jesus Christ, our Lord. God's renewal, my friends, is real. God's renewal is real. Death and darkness is real, but it's expiring, remember. God's renewal is real, and it is coming. It is coming. We are going to breathe that air of heaven that we sang about. Walk those streets of mercy. Sing those heavenly hymns. Get excited about that this week. Let that put a spring in your step and hope in your heart. Friends, I hope you've understood what we've read in the shaft of light today. You need it. I need it. This is a preview of the story of all of history. It's what we call the gospel, right? Our condition is bad, but God offers us salvation in Christ. Those who receive his salvation in Christ immediately serve him. That's our commission. And we do so until the great day of restoration, because there is a day coming when God's going to renew all things, wipe away every tear, and we're going to enjoy, enjoy life as we were always meant to enjoy life in the kingdom of God. Now, let me just say this in closing. If you do not know Jesus Christ personally, and you might be one of the ones that looks like a saint, lives like a saint, acts like a saint, smells like a saint, owns a church, pastors a church. If you do not know Jesus Christ personally, one word sermon for you, repent. Just repent. Turn to God. We're here to help you. Let us help you. Reach out to us. Grab a pastor. Come forward for prayer. 
Grab a pastor outside in the lobby in whatever venue you're at. Email the church. What you need to know is that we're not fishermen, but we certainly are steer wranglers, calf scramblers, mutton busters. We want you. God wants you. Turn to God and believe. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this little shaft of light that penetrates our darkness for a few moments this week. We thank you that that shaft of light is none other than your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to rescue us from our sins so that we could enter into life, eternal life, with you, your way. I pray that if there is someone who's listened to this message, wherever they may be today, if they do not know you personally, if they've never bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would just turn, that they would repent, that they would believe and give us the joy of being able to help them along in their walk with you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.